Welcome to the Sefsuck podcast, Into the Blueprint, where we delve into the abstract concept of identity and how it carves distinctive experiences in individuals in the world of engineering. We discuss topics that concern diversity and inclusivity and dissect the multifaceted nature of the industry and stigmas that may live within it. Listen along to hear stories and insights ranging from all walks of life, including students at university or those grinding the nine to five engineering career. So sit back and enjoy the podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Sefsoc podcast, Into the Blueprint. I'm your host, Catherine Trin, and today we are joined by two guest speakers, Todd Newman and Chelsea Haywood. Before we get started, I would first like to acknowledge the medical people who are the traditional custodians of the land. We would like to pay our respects to elders, both past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal people listening today. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the importance, status, and actions moving forward regarding diversity and inclusion in the engineering field. Our first speaker, Todd, is a leading figure for the LGBTQIA community and an advocate for diversity and inclusion in today's engineering world. An established lead planner at WSP, he also leads WSP's Pride Network, Vibe, and promotes inclusivity and diversity through participating in panel discussions, social events, and industry training. But actively engages with the community from mentoring students in the LGBTQIA community to participate in community groups such as Interbuild to spearhead external and social events such as International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia, Work Purple Day and Mardi Gras. Todd, would you like to give us a wave? Everybody, thanks for having me here. Thank you, Todd. And our second speaker, Chelsea, is passionate about increasing diversity in the engineering industry particularly increasing female and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander representation. Currently working as a process engineer in the water team at Jacobs, she also empowers employees through Jacobs Careers Network, which aims to maximise employee potential through development opportunities. Chelsea also helps in coordinating global efforts for sustainability in the volunteering program collectively and chairs the New South Wales Sustainability Committee. Outside of Jacobs, she promotes STEM education as a national school outreach coordinator for EWV Australia. Engineers Without Borders, and hopes to inspire the next generation of diverse STEM professionals. So thank you so much, Todd. Oh, Chelsea, wouldn't give away. Hey, everyone. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you, Chelsea and Todd, for joining us today. The audience listening live on Instagram and Facebook will be taking questions at the end, so make sure to stick around until then. But I guess, first of all, I wanted to ask, how do you define yourself and what, how do you think this affects your outlook on industry? All right, sure, I will jump in. So I guess it's important, I just want to say that it's important to recognise, firstly, that I guess everyone has a different outlook on the world and it can be due to a range of factors like upbringing, culture, experiences, and the list does go on. I'll be speaking to my experience as a woman in engineering today. And I guess, yeah, as many people would know, women in the engineering sector are in the minority in Australia, I believe the number is sitting around 13% representation of women in the industry. And it's definitely something that I notice in the workplace and like going into meetings can quite often be the only woman in the room. And yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something that lots of women in the industry have to face various challenges and things like that. So 
from some of my experiences, I guess there's things around like confidence to speak up in group settings. And I mean, partly that would be a personal thing and, and also because I am still fairly early in my career. But I also do think that gender plays a role in that as well. Like women are more likely to experience imposter, sin imposter syndrome where they, they, they don't feel like they kind of should have that seat at the table, but they absolutely do deserve it for sure. And I think it's been interesting, interesting, especially with International Women's Day on Monday. I've been having a few interesting conversations in the last few days where uh, some of my male colleagues have been quite surprised to learn that quite a common experience for lots of women that I know is that if a man and a woman walk into a meeting together, it's pretty likely that people will assume that the man is the one that's in charge, even though lots of times we do have plenty of um, women who are like project managers and things like that who are the ones leading the meeting. So, so yeah, definitely something that's been talked about quite a bit in the last few days. But yeah, I think also like not just focusing on kind of the, the challenges and things like that. I think it's important to also recognize the like different insights and values that women bring to the engineering industry. There has been some research that has shown that women are more likely to connect to that social, the social values that are in engineering. So like looking at the positive outcomes that engineers can create for society. I'm not saying it's exclusive to women, but just more likely. And I think that's really important to bring those perspectives to the table, particularly if we're starting to kind of look more at human-centered um, design and engineering, making sure that that kind of community focus and people focus is brought into that. Yeah, I definitely agree, um, especially because engineers are creating solutions for the community. And so it's important for us to be empathetic towards the people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I identify my pronouns are he and his. I should have said that as part of my introduction, so apologies. And as yes, even though I am a male, I, I do identify as um, culturally diverse, so I have Vietnamese heritage as well. So I think that combination of being Southeast Asian descent and kind of working in the engineering world, as well as being identifying a gay male, it could be a lot of challenges as well. It's mostly from the traditional cultural perspective of, you know, that's not really okay. And a lot of the times, um, maybe some other young people who are not comfortable with themselves, they bring that into the workplace and what we do, you know, in engineering and such. But it's really all about understanding um, diversity in the workplace. So for example, there's the Australian Workplace I think, Equity Index, um, AWEI, and they put out some really great statistics and information about how most companies with more diverse um, employees and such actually have pro provide better outputs. And we see that across it's not just cultural diversion, but also as well as LGBTQ plus inclusion as well. So I think it's really important to bring that to the forefront and not see yeah. it as any sort of weakness. Chelsea kind of highlighted kind of that, you know, being a woman, I, I, I call it the first, you know, glass glazed window, but then when you kind of add other items to the box, you might double that double glaze or triple glaze. And a lot of people don't see it as, you know, this is their limiting factor, you know, let's say identifying as queer and such. So I think we really need to be really embrace of that culture and really provide that, bring your whole self to work environment. Yeah. Definitely. And I guess the next question kind of ties in of what you guys are saying about 
bringing diversity into the workplace and to engineering solutions. So why do you guys think that being the importance of diversity inclusion in providing engineering solutions and in the engineering industry, maybe can you speak about any projects you worked on where you had to think about diversity and inclusion? I can jump in here. So I think Catherine, you touched on it a little bit before actually, like, like engineers, we are creating solutions and designing for society to like create better better lives for people. So I think it, it really does make sense that really engineering teams should be as diverse as the society in which they are designing for. So yeah, it's, it's things that like, it's just bringing those different perspectives, experiences to the table and like I can think of some examples where things have gone poorly and like where where things you can kind of tell that things have been designed most likely by a team of men yes. sitting at the table together. Like a, some people may have heard of the kind of example around crash test dummies, which were kind of oh. Oh, yeah. average average male yeah. um, build. And so actually they were finding that women were much more likely to get injured in car accidents just yes. because the testing hadn't been done with yeah. a female build. And even like another example, just working in the office, the kind of air conditioning settings have kind of been, was standardized a long time ago and were kind of set up thinking, yeah, about, about primarily men working in the office. Men actually have like higher metabolism and then often, you know, like men are often wearing suits or things like that. You'll often see like definitely myself and a couple of other female colleagues in the office, we have blankets at our desk just because <laughs> yeah. we get quite chilly sometimes. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, so I think they're just like out of a couple of examples that stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I also heard about the how like the cars were designed with the yeah the male dummy, and that's why yeah females are more likely to be involved in crashes and like get hurt because we didn't even think about the female like anatomy when they were designing solution like a car everyone uses. So yeah, that's really interesting that you brought that up. Did you have any other um, examples? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll just to say, I actually run really hot in the office, so I always have a mini fan, so I'm like the opposite <laughs> of most male. I think what, what we were talking about is it's so important to design for people, and I really like how yeah. you kind of you know hit the nail on the head on that, Charles. It's very important. We are designing for people, communities, families, individuals, and you know, Australia is such a diverse city and country, so it's really important to really reflect on that. And so, I think one of my main project examples I've worked on is actually with Transport for New South Wales as part of their transport access program. So it's mostly designed around providing. Um, more accessible station access to those who are disabled, so which is a key element so that might be including adding lifts or making the grade not so steep, etc. But an, a really big component is for kind of that diversity lens is the, the toilet facilities. And a lot of people don't remember, don't think about this too much, is including more gender neutral toilets. And that for those who don't identify as either male or female, it's a really big deal to see that symbol, you know, and they can have a freak out moment. So it's also providing accessibility for those who don't, you know, identify on the binary lens as well. And with working with Transport for New South Wales, you know, we, we weren't able to apply to every single station, but it was amazing to see that was a level of conversation they were willing to have with us and really engage yeah. in those um, conversations yeah. as well. And I think that's so important that 
ability to access, you know, for the, for example, for those who identifies either one, we don't think about that, but for those who may be yeah. trans or such, they have to have a double check to make sure, is this okay for me to go in, which in the grand scheme, sounds kind of silly, but they have to, you know, they have to double check to use the toilet, you know. But I also would like to say it's also really cool to see more in the building and property environment. So yeah. that there's actually a lot of ongoing case studies currently with companies like Lend Lease um, and such, where they're exploring kind of rewriting the building code around number of toilets specific for yeah. male and female because that's how it's currently written actually so yeah. it's again adding the level of accessibility um, and designing space for people to access things yeah. yeah i was wondering would you be able to speak more on the perspective of a transgender or transsexual person and why it's important for them to have a gender neutral bathroom because i feel like people might not understand the, um, safety almost Sure, no, that's a, no, that's a great point, Catherine. So I, in the disclaimer, I cannot speak on behalf yeah, of the transgender yeah. community, and I definitely encourage everyone to do their own research on this, but based on my conversations with individuals who do identify as such, yes, that is right, Catherine, it's all about that level of safety. So, yeah. you know, do you feel safe to enter that space and let's say use a stall, but then there might be other people there who might make a snide remark or even yeah. worse case, attack you for whatever reason, just because you may not identify as whatever is that symbol on the door of the toilet. So it yeah. really does go back to that level of safety. And access. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good that the building code is also being changed because I know that I think I heard Greenstar, they're also adding in another part of sustainability, which is accounting for Indigenous um, culture when they're about building design. So that's also really good that cultural diversity is included in that sense, that we're actually inputting into our headlines and the way we design buildings. So that's really good too. Chelsea, do you have any um, perspective on that? Since I know that you encourage the Indigenous um, people from the representation in engineering. Yeah, I think my kind of main involvement in that space is as the school outreach coordinator with Engineers Without Borders. And it's more at kind of that school age level trying to help show like the the relevance of engineering and the ties between culture and engineering. Yeah. Um, just to like help spark that interest and encourage more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to actually consider a career in yeah. engineering in the first place. Because I like... From the student, I mean, I, I've only had limited experience going out to schools, but from the students that I have come across, it's like it's not even something that has crossed their minds just because it's not really been kind of raised as an option for them. Yeah, so that's that's more where my experience lies. But I absolutely agree that like part of that starting to see more relevance between culture and engineering is also yes. seeing like how it's worked into projects so that students can then like look up and say like oh cool like they're actually taking this into consideration and um, putting it into their work so i know like an example of something that jacobs has worked on the train station where they engaged with some aboriginal groups in the area and it's like a little bit subtle but can definitely see it if you're um, looking for it but they have some kind of aboriginal artwork around the like outside yeah. the new section of the station and things like that yeah that's really cool and i know redfern station like the exterior design has also been designed in that way as well actually i so you um a school outreach coordinator for EWB. Yeah, I actually went on one of the regioneering trips. So I went to Orange and I also went to um, schools that were predominantly had um, Indigenous students. And it was really great to like, 
talk, talk, talk to them about engineering, like talk to them about the opportunities available. And it's really exciting to see them like have fun with engineering solutions. We just made like a little wind fan. So um, it was really fun. So I definitely love what you're doing there. Um, and then I guess the next question I I think it's really important to highlight that Aboriginal culture. I think Chelsea, so you're right, it could be very subtle, like a form of artwork or whatever. But I think what I do want to highlight is it's almost transformed in a way where it's moved away from just a tick block exercise of what we might typically mm -hmm. do in engineering and how we design things. And now it's yeah. actually becoming a part of the conversation. And I think that yeah. is really important to see that pendulum move to that other side, right? Of course, it could have been sooner, but better late than never, I suppose. But, you know, you really see that constant Aboriginal engagement. It's no longer just like, yes, no, right? We engage with them, but really including their input on the yeah. design and the access to people. Yeah. yeah. So a strong form of collaboration instead of just saying, oh, we're going to do this. That's definitely important. And the last question I wanted to ask you guys was because we have so many undergraduate students listening, and I guess some of them might identify in minority groups. Do you have anything that might best relieve any apprehensions they might have coming into industry, um, feeling they might not fit in a certain way, or um, yet anything surprising that you learned when you joined um, your workplace? You might want to tell undergraduate I'll jump in first, Chelsea, maybe you could add on. I think my first thought and what I always tell uni students is always check the company's diversity and inclusion page. I think that is really important. I know Jacob has a really good diversity inclusion um, initiative as well as WSP, but then if you just can't find one, that might not be the right organization for you. Yeah. I think we tend to forget to look at that. Of course, you look at the job specs I mean, and things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, I'll highlight specifically is Pride and Diversity, they're a um, LGBT non-for-profit that helps host our training for employees and they've been really great to provide resources to us. They actually said about almost 80% of undergraduate students go back into the closet during really unfortunate um, for me yeah. to hear anybody. Yeah. They feel like they have to shield themselves from that um, and mm -hmm. so that's why I say um, for any, everyone that's listening or maybe later, definitely take an opportunity to check the page. And if you see any organ that has some sort of yeah. diversity page that to you, that means you should feel safe to be who you are. So I think that's probably the yeah. biggest um, advice I'd like to share. Yeah. Just on top of that, do you have any experience yourself with feeling comfortable in the industry, if you're comfortable with disclosing anything of any of that? Or like, if you know any friends that had that kind of experience and how they dealt with that? Yeah, no, I'm happy to share personal story. Yeah. So yeah, when I, yeah. I was part of that 80%, 100%, yeah. I was very out and about in uni. But then when I started my first job, which also was yeah. in government as well, so that probably didn't help culturally. So I yeah. definitely, if I had to seal myself away again, and that yeah. wasn't ideal, you know, so yeah. it, at the time I was like, oh, it was not a big deal. Like this is just to keep face. Again, kind of yeah. going back to that cultural roots of being Southeast Asian as well. Yeah, that's a very big deal for those who are listening. You know, it means to keep faith, right? To yeah. Yeah. everything's great, you're not abnormal. So, um, so that definitely was at the forefront of my mind. So, absolutely, I did experience that, and it wasn't until I kind of had mentors, and I guess that's another piece yeah. of I'm willing to share here is really reach out, you know, and get those stories. You know, like I just shared mine in a very quick way, but it, it wasn't like one from overnight I was okay right but it did take a couple yeah. of years for me to really be comfortable in my own skin yeah, yeah. 
that's really good to hear that you're comfortable in your own skin now and you're actually you're doing some you're actively doing something for your community so it's really nice you're giving back and you're trying to connect and create resources Sorry. Sorry. This is what's crazy, Catherine. Never did I think if I talked to my uni self my first year of working, I'd be like the face of WSP's Pride Network. So yeah, let's be clear. <laughs> that's such a level up. Like, congrats to you. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really good. I can definitely build on um, some of the things Todd just said there. Absolutely. I think we are definitely getting better at recognizing that the conversation needs to be had around diversity and its importance. There are lots of companies out there now that have these employee networks, so WSB and Jacobs as examples. And so, yeah, I think definitely encourage people to keep their eye out for that. And not even just within companies, but industry-wide as well. Like from my experience, there's plenty of women in engineering networks out there to get involved with. And definitely yeah. encourage that, like Todd mentioned, finding a mentor. Lots of these yeah. kind of yeah, industry groups and within companies as well have mentoring programs. So you can go that way and probably a good place to start in terms of finding a mentor. But then also just encourage you to kind of keep your eye out on like other people in the business and in the industry. And if there's someone who you feel like kind of like a connection with or like someone you look up to, there's really no harm in kind of reaching out to them and asking them if yeah. they'd be willing to kind of take you on as a mentee and yeah. give you some, even if it's a, a one-off thing where they can give you a bit of career advice or whether it's something that's like ongoing, definitely, yeah, encourage looking out for those networks because they're definitely out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think the mentor, mentor idea really does help. I can't speak from my own experience because um, I don't have a mentor and I don't, identify as part of the LGBTQI community or being an ally. But one of my friends, he was very proactive and he's reached out to his mentor, has really, really helped him. And he has a person I want to talk to about career, about um, identifying as gay in the community. And I know that this really helped him and it's been such a good support network for him. So I definitely recommend that anyone who does want support to reach out and be proactive. And um, yet if you find anyone yeah, you do connect with as Chelsea said and yeah it's definitely a great resource to have yeah so I guess we're going to go to questions from just really quick I just wanted to think you mentioned a key thing I probably forgot about is um, being an ally is great actually so you know that's actually very helpful for those who are entering the workplace to find those yeah. allies I think Chelsea kind of said if you get along with someone ask them for help ask for that mentorship and no matter yeah. what you identify as right it's just having people in your corner yeah um at all times that you feel comfortable yeah thank you for that yeah it's definitely learning i think there's a lot to learn about being an ally yeah so it's a good learning process and it's good it's really nice to like be there for your friends as well so yeah exciting that is there any more questions or um comments wait okay so i guess we'll go to questions that we're receiving from students from our instagram live and facebook do you want to read them up yeah, yeah. So currently, currently we have one from Alyssa. Alyssa. She asked, asked hi, Todd hi Todd and Chelsea. And Chelsea. Chelsea. Uh, I was wondering, I was wondering what, what is culture like in the... Yeah, I can take the WSP and Chelsea to talk about Jacobs. Um, so I think I think the common denominator, and I don't know if this might be true for Chelsea as well, it is, you know, in quote, corporate consulting. So you will still kind of get that sometimes a little more button up environment to a degree so if you're not kind of used to that you might that's a, a shift from that uni environment but i know in my experience so i actually 
worked um, in both the Los Angeles WSP office, from which I'm originally from, and I moved here to Sydney. So I, it's actually really interesting that the culture is almost like night and day, even though it's the same company. But again, it just goes to that cultural um, level. So I think from my personal experience, I found the company to be really open and engaging for conversations. So for example, like for them to put so much resources toward what I do for the LGBT network is amazing. You know, I never thought they would be so gung-ho about that. They're essentially like, for example, Mardi Gras was just last weekend. They said, here you go, Todd, do whatever you want with X money and invite people. I'm like, great, you know? So it was really good to just say, you know, here here you are, Todd, here are all your resources you do with whatever you want with it, we trust you. So I think there's a lot of autonomy in that space for kind of that diversity inclusion. Kind of more on the technical side, I would say, it's probably like similar to any other company, but there's kind of varying levels. Can you come in as a grad and you kind of make your way up to what we call like associate or kind of technical executive level. But it's really good about providing those resources and training for anyone that's new to the company. So it, it's been really good. Yeah, Jacob's, I think, very similar. Similar industry, working on similar projects here in um, Sydney. I definitely was surprised on my first day. It was always better to be overdressed than underdressed, I guess, but I was definitely overdressed on my first day, ready with like, you know, my full business outfit. It is like, I do find it is like fairly laid back, like with the sense that like you're still expected to get your work done and deliver good work for our clients, but absolutely. And again, it, it might change a bit team to team, but like in my water team, for example, we are like, yeah, very friendly with each other, do things outside of work as well, just like get along, got like a good group of friends in the team and stuff like that as well. And yeah, similar um, to what Todd was saying with WSP with the career progression side of things as well. We've got a pretty strong graduate program and kind of, yeah, pretty clear pathway of like progressing. Um, up through the professional ranks with different options to kind of stick to a technical pathway or get into the more management side of things as well. And people might think about is that transition from, I guess, uni to the workplace. Would that be worth chatting about, Catherine? Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Okay, yeah, so I think what Chelsea said, like, she came in overdressed, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes you gotta, like, measure, like, what is right. So I did the same thing, actually. I wore a full suit with tie, and that was way too much, right? So you gotta just read the room a bit. So, you know, I think that's the first thing. Really take a yeah. pulse check on what's appropriate and yeah. appropriate. You know, so um, I think that's a big, um, big thing as well. But I think the other thing I maybe most will experience is that life-work balance will dramatically change um, mm -hmm. for most people, right? Because like, this is your first full-time job, you're being yeah. exposed to different types of people. And I think the first thing, and it's something that took me a long time to understand is not everybody has to like you. You already have to like everybody. You just work with these people. So I know that could be really hard as a grad and say, oh, yeah. I need to be friendly to everybody. But yeah. it's, you know, it's the world, right? It's impossible yeah. to please everybody. So you need to figure out what works best for you and how you communicate with people. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Chelsea, do you have anything more to add about transition? Yeah, I think another big point for me, like I had taken a year off between university and like going into the workforce. So I was like super, super nervous on my first day of work about like, I've forgotten everything I learned, like I don't know anything, like I'm going to look so silly, like going in, like working as an engineer, but it's like, 
it's so much just learning on the job like and and not just about the like actual technical work that you're doing but like we've kind of been discussing as well like learning to work with different people clients whatever type of role you might be in so yeah don't stress too much about worrying about bringing that um, knowledge across from university like it's definitely good to have that baseline but there's like a whole heap of learning on the job that happens and in my experience and I think it's pretty common that people are very understanding of like where graduates are at and very supportive and willing to kind of take some time make sure they don't just throw it throw you in the deep end thank you for the responses uh, I guess I guess that, that. We just, uh, had, we just another had another question, question from Chris, from Chris who are, yeah. and the resulting, and the resulting sense, sense of imposter, of imposter syndrome. syndrome. So, so I guess, I guess we'll start off with Todd. Todd? Sorry, I, I, oh, I couldn't barely. It was that. Say that one more time. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Diversity higher, higher. And the resulting, and the resulting sense, sense of imposter syndrome. syndrome. I, I can probably talk more to the. I call it tokenism, essentially. And I don't know about the imposter, but I can never give that a thing. But so I think. I want to be too caught up in that. The reason why there are what we the company, a lot of companies do such a wide search for diversity is because, as I kind of mentioned, it does prove that there are it's a better work environment for everybody to have diverse cultures, identities, people all in the same space. So that's really where the people and recruitment team are coming from. It's not necessary to say we need ten percent of you know people of this person probably the only place that it might be different is for the aboriginal and Torres Strait islander community because i think it's that's probably mostly driven by legislation potentially i'm not too unclear on that specifically but there might be more drivers for that but i think you know identifying as you know the tokenism for example like i don't think like you for me personally i wouldn't get too wrapped up in that you know i think it's really important that you are bringing diversity and inclusion into the workplace whether it's on your technical skills and you know your level of how you work your personality so i would really focus more on that because you know they obviously are keen to hire you for sure yeah and i don't think anyone is ever hired just because of a certain like part of their identity like there, there might be a, a point where someone's weighing up two candidates that are like the same on paper and so there might be a consideration of okay like we want to bring make sure that there is diversity in the team so that's like a factor right at the end of it but they're never going to go straight in and say we're specifically looking for this type of person who identifies in a certain way so yeah I, I agree with Todd like it's not something to like get too caught up in and and not don't definitely don't feel like an imposter. Think about your your worth and the fact that you are bringing different perspectives to the team. And like, don't be afraid to to challenge things. Where like, have those tough conversations if if you are noticing like a certain group of people are all kind of like stuck around a, a, an idea, perhaps because of a lack of diversity. Like, definitely kind of own own your differences and kind of challenge challenge that because I think that's definitely something that needs to um, be happening in the industry. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't want to kind of flip the question as well. That's okay, Catherine. Let's say you're in a situation where you feel like you can't mark yourself as a certain identity. Let's say LGBT for whatever reason, right? And you don't realize that, that it could be actually a deciding factor for them not to hire. Right, that is also a possibility, right? So I want to make that clear. So I'll give you kind of a, a general example. So my sister actually, so she is a mechanical engineer, and during her kind of 
her, you know, exploring jobs and such. So, you know, mechanical engineering is probably worse than civil, actually, is yeah. I believe. So it's definitely crazy for her, right? So the yeah. minority, right? Yeah. Um, so when she was applying for jobs, and I think she went for one interview at this um, place, you know, and she liked the environment and such, but she looked around the room and she saw zero women. Like this was like a hundred percent company, all white men. Like, yeah. And she was really thrown off. And yeah. so she definitely felt that token is they just hiring because she's an Asian female. Yeah. So yeah. of course she would feel that. I mean, that's a pretty stark example mm-hmm. obviously but i think she made the call in that environment saying, you know what this is not the place for me you know and and she no longer she didn't, she didn't end up picking that place right she wanted to pick a place that was diverse has open mind and you know now she's in a way better place so i think yeah. keeping that in the back of your head as well being again doing your research do they have a dni page if they don't that's already an issue maybe don't apply yeah, it, you know, so. yeah. I just have a question like on top of that. So I guess like in that situation where a company obviously doesn't really that care that much about diversity inclusion, what do you think is holding back these companies or like sort of change towards diversity inclusion in engineering in the industry? I can maybe start Chelsea maybe and and then you can add on. So I know specifically kind of what I do for the Pride Network, um, engineering tends to fall on the more conservative side of things yes. compared to places like finance, banking, and management consulting. So I, for example, I found it really hard to engage LGBTQ employees, usually sometimes in the engineering space. And I sometimes wonder, is it because of a personality thing? You know, because you know how people say engineers are all introverts. Yeah, don't have a personality yet. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I think the other layer is the industry has so many guidelines, procedures, and standards. Yeah. And we are, this is a part of territory. There is no guidebook, there's no Australian standards of diversity. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that what's scary in the sense like it doesn't exist, We're, we are creating it as we go, right? But it's not something that we've all been raised in. And yeah, I think maybe that's why we don't see as much diversity in engineering because you know you might see other fields that are a little bit better, but but I think there's no guidelines, so to speak, and we're all just you know that's all how we think, right? So you design a yeah. bridge, yeah. This, yeah. right? X Y Z, right? That's what it is. Yeah. But it, unfortunately, diversity is not cut yeah. clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, engineering is very like strict, you know, stick to the plan, and we can't really do that in that kind of conversation. Um, Chelsea, did you have something to talk on that? Yeah, I guess my views just to add on top is also like it's a like full pipeline issue, diversity in the engineering sector. So and I was talking to someone the other day, like it's a little bit of like a chicken and the egg situation as well, where, you know, you want to be getting like young women and girls um, interested in engineering and things like that. So you need um, those role models. But then because we don't have them coming in in the first place it's hard to, to then have those women in engineering or or not just women any kind of diverse people in engineering to act as those role models as well so there's there's definitely work to be done kind of across that whole pipeline and yeah whether it is we are I guess slowly starting to get better at like policy setting and stuff within businesses to yeah. like have more flexible working look at different gender roles and like with paternity leave and things like that as well which kind of will then enable like more diversity um, in those higher positions, yeah. um, which then, yeah, I'd love to see, see hopefully kind of trickle down and have those 
diverse people acting as role models to then so yeah. that children high school students can can see that it, it, it's not just white yeah. white men wearing hard yeah. hats kind of yeah. there's like yeah there are lots of other people in the industry as well that's really important so I think, like I said before, definitely a good starting point is looking for those programs that exist out there because in those programs, the mentors that you get paired with are, are people who have signed up and are willing to, to give their time to, to talk to you and participate in the program. So I think that's definitely a good starting point. But I think also... Yeah, just uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, it, like just participating in different networking activities or just kind of like seeing people who you think are doing awesome things in the in the workforce. Like, honestly, I think there's there's no harm in kind of just reaching out, letting them know why you are interested in getting to know them and their career better. And like there's a chance that, yes, they'll, they'll say that they're too busy and they don't have the time. But but that's not like that's the worst thing that can happen. It's not like going to be detrimental to you to, to reach out to them and um, ask. I mean, and in the world of COVID, things are a little bit more difficult to do face to face these days. And I, I, like, and emails can often get a little bit lost. But like, have a think of about other other channels that you can get in touch. Like, like I certainly have people on on LinkedIn who I've never met face to face before, but they, they kind of like not just sending like a connection request but making sure you kind of attach a personal message to that explain like people have explained to me like I've seen like you you do this and this and you you've done this in in your career and I'm interested in like learning a bit more about that like would you be happy to connect on here so yeah there's kind of a few tips yeah, just really briefly, um, I think yeah, that's right. Using LinkedIn is a really powerful platform. But I think the key thing is don't be scared. It's actually to your greatest benefit as a student to reach out to professionals uh, because it's, it's a very low risk situation. You're not biased in any way. Uh, so for example, if I, if either me or Chelsea were to reach out to a professional, there's definitely a little bit more of an under tone, right? Oh, are you trying to get a new job or get more information for a project, etc., etc. So all the kind of hidden meanings, so to speak. So I think as students, it's actually quite easy to say, "Hey, I, I, I see that you work, you know, at Jacobs or WSB. I'd love to connect. I saw your work on whatever." And then, of course, sure, and that's it. You know, and, and... Okay, that's good. Do you have any um, reaching out from LinkedIn? Like anything they should say in particular, or a type of mannerism? Go ahead, Todd. Go ahead, Todd. I, I think the only I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if anyone has reached out to me specifically a LinkedIn. Yeah. I think they just saw something I had posted and they had just kind of commented, but I don't know if I necessarily have met anyone via LinkedIn in that manner. I don't know, Chelsea, have you? Posted. I have like connected with a few, and it's kind of mostly students actually, because I have oh, been yeah. involved in some different like university engagement things with Jacobs and stuff like that. So like people have seen me speak in an event or something and then afterwards sent through a, a connection request but like I said it's just it is making sure that you don't just like send a random request make sure that you include that that message explain like explain I, I like it could be I saw you talking on this podcast or I saw you um, at this event or even if like I do know other people as well who just who just kind of have a look through LinkedIn at different people's profiles and things like that. And it is, it's just trying to be um, specific and like picking out like why it is that, that you have an interest. Like an example of 
a project that you've seen they've worked on or just like a particular role that they've held or something like that. So, yeah, just making sure that you yeah. have that personal note in there explaining, like, why it is that you are reaching out. Yeah. yeah. Areas that you think still need improvement into, into the future in regards to diversity in the workplace. Yeah, I think I kind of touched on this. It's probably more on the um, transgender part of the LGBTQ spectrum. We don't see a lot of representation in that space, and it's also very difficult to poll for that as well. So I know a lot of organizations, like for example, you can't just send a survey out there and say, how do you identify? It's very politically, you know, incorrect so to speak to do that and it can be very sensitive to other even though if you say it's anonymous so i think we have a lot to go in the lgbtq space of how do we actually let's call them measure who our employees are or just in the industry as a whole i know the organization as i mentioned before pride and diversity they, they have done a pretty probably the best job out of any organization on polling that but their numbers are still quite low um, so for example they might I think they say in the construction industry, probably the closest one to what we do, it's only like 10% identify as LGBTQ, but that is just, is, I actually think that's a very low number compared to what the actuals are. So it's, I hope moving forward into the future, it's, it'll be a little bit easier to know, you know, who are people are in industry so that we can better cater um, to their needs, right? It's, it's not about outing people, that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's just so that we can have a better understanding uh, that they can feel comfortable in the workplace. What can we do so that we can all work together? Um, yeah. so I would definitely highlight that's one of the key things. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. I think like in the LGBTQ plus space, having that, like I know there is LA training out there, but I think definitely making that more accessible and encouraging more people to come to come along just to, to like create that awareness of how you can be supportive even if you don't identify in that space. And I think that also applies to other forms of diversity as well. Just really yeah. ways to have to have that conversation more. Like, for example, like with women in engineering, like it's it's not just a problem for women. Like the the men in the industry also need to be aware and similar to kind of allyship, having that kind of understanding about how they can be supportive and and yeah, really help people. It is like a kind of about creating that safe space industry wide so that people like no matter what it is that they identify as can like bring their whole selves to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's uh, uh, very I, I like to use the analogy that it's like it's you know you know how we say like we won't be having events like this. It's just like the sky is blue, right? And then we move forward with our life. You know, it's just a normal part of the day to day and we don't question it or require focus groups on it so maybe in the future i don't know what decade oh, that will happen yeah. in but yeah i hope so yeah okay we're gonna we have yeah. two more questions before we, before we should end this podcast so we have a good question i think definitely i think it's definitely something that starts like at university like in, in university, like you do have a lot of diversity amongst the cohort. In in some instances, I guess there's still definitely certain areas of engineering and things like that where where there is a bit of less diversity. So I think trying to yeah have a go at like when you are do, doing group assignments, 
reach out to people who you normally like wouldn't like choose like for a, a group assignment having a think about that like right from the get-go as a student and just I think having those experiences just gives you that opportunity to learn about how different people work how different people um, communicate is a big one as well so yeah just trying to get that experience in early and then I think yeah once you get to the workplace it's definitely you, you probably don't have as much as, as much choice it really is you you get put on a project and um you get told to work as part of that team I think like Todd brought up earlier like it is there is going to be a little bit of just knowing that you can't be liked by everyone necessarily but there's definitely definitely things that you can do to kind of help create a more cohesive team and I think it is just understanding that people work differently um they have different backgrounds and perspectives making sure that you kind of yeah leave that space open for everyone to be heard but yeah just just being aware that like someone might do something that you find frustrating or something like that but it's just it's like it's the way that they grew up maybe or something communicating that way or something and I think like I've said before like it is really just starting to have that that conversation if, if there is something that you don't understand or or like I said you might find frustrating or something like have a conversation with that person and and see like maybe there is something behind why why they do something a certain way so yeah I think it's kind of like on everyone to to try and learn and engage with different people so that they um can yeah get that understanding of working with different people yeah i think that's right just thank you you know you're saying a lot of people explore that in university that's where you kind of really learn that collaborative nature of working with other people and probably the biggest difference from that into the workplace is I, don't know, I think you alluded to it. You work with people of different ages now, right? And some people could be the same age as your parents or your uncle, right? So you kind of have to that generational difference into the equation as well. And I think you kind of said that people might communicate differently and such. You know, I think that's really important to understand. Like, you know, you might have learned something in university about like the new improved whatever right and this person who has worked in the industry for 50 years might not have heard of it right and you know they might challenge you sometimes on a lot of those things but i think it's being able to communicate in a very respectful way saying you know hey this is just a new idea really come in with open eyes and not come in too confrontational i guess you know i think from a technical perspective anyways but i think the other thing i want also highlight is the kind of the social side of the office you know yeah, you spend a lot of time in the office so you will start making friends and such but you know if you ever hear anything that's inappropriate or you know that's kind of a negative term that maybe a long time ago that used to be okay that but maybe now not so much like i call out that behavior in a nice way so yeah um so, so i this is kind of the first of what i'm explaining but during like you know who are in their 50s and 60s the term queer was a very negative derogatory term yeah. and so i've actually had to like uh, we call it unlearn a lot of those people in the company to say actually yeah. queer has been reinstated by the you know the modern generation now it's it's an okay term to use yeah. right but again that took a lot of conversations yeah. and multiple types of ways to show them that this is okay right so yeah. so it's just kind of those types of yeah. So just on that, um, having these difficult conversations, I think that's like really important for diversity inclusion. Do you have any, I guess, tips or advice for someone who feels like they should speak up about something but sort of feels a bit like worried or scared about it, um, but feels like it's something that they're important they should say? I definitely think part of it is 
is finding those people who you are comfortable working with and building a bit of a support network. If you're if you're not feeling up to kind of like con- confronting nicely someone um, <laughs> someone directly, absolutely find people in your yeah. network who, who are your allies and your support network um, yeah. and, and go to them, whether it's just for advice or, or for help. And I mean, like, it's definitely something like in, in my team, for example, like I feel more than comfortable talking to my manager about things if there, if there was an issue, if I felt like there was an issue with, a, if with another teammate. So reaching out to other people as well, rather than feeling like you just have to kind of tackle it head on yourself. There are lots of lots of people that you can um, yeah. reach out to, and and I mean a lot of companies these days as well also have like employee support lines and things like that. Um, employee assistance program is what we've got at Jacobs, and I'm sure other companies as well. Like there are different avenues that you can take to kind of get help and get advice about yeah. about those situations. Yeah. So using your resources and the people around you. Yeah, that's really useful advice. Do you have anything on that, Tom? No, I was just say, you know, you're not in it by yourself. You might think yeah. you are, but there's no one right next to you that could probably experience the same exact thing. So it's, don't do it alone. Yeah, no, for sure. So I am in the environment group, so that is a very targeted question. Absolutely. So I think I first mentioned I worked on some of the station upgrade uh, projects all throughout the inner and regional um, New South New South Wales. Um, so that's been really exciting. Um, but in addition, we've also been working on the wharf systems as well. So that's been really interesting as well. But I, I really seen the complexities of both kind of land and water-based structures. So I, it's been very different. I know Chelsea like water is very much in your sphere, but I will say that was definitely a bit of a stretch for me um, a little bit. But I would say probably one of the more I guess interesting projects I've worked on is what is called Fast Rail and it's kind of a new rail system, you know, all throughout the inner Sydney to you know regional parts of New South Wales that goes up to 250 kilometers per hour using either a kind of existing track or new track or whatever that might be. So from an environmental lens, it's been very different depending on the direction. And I actually can't say which corridors are because of probity reasons. Yeah. <laughs> all this information. Uh, but yeah, so it's really fascinating to see you know, the different environmental components. So, you know, for example, we might be going through a bushfire um, area, which as you guys know, back, you know, the other year, that was a very hot topic, no pun intended. How do we assess environment around bushfire management um, and designing around that, including even koala habitats as well? Those are very, um, you know, hot topic as well. So it's been really interesting to see how, you know, current events have shaped how we do infrastructure, especially for this big project like, like Foster Rail and how we get to and from communities. And I think, of course, with the, you know, the current you know, ongoing pandemic as well, like how does that influence things? And I know there's so many white papers on this as well, so we don't have to dive, dive into it, but it'll be interesting to see how those other external items um, kind of affect all the project work that might be for the next generation um, or the yeah. next cohort of graduates coming in. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think another thing that's definitely working its way much more into projects these days as well is is climate change and the impacts that that, that has on our on our projects and the work that we do. So yeah, so 
I mean, for example, mine project that I've um, worked a bit on, which again, can't go into too much detail due to confidentiality, but just over the last year and a bit have been involved in the um, Greater Sydney Desalination Program. So it's definitely something where we've identified that, that we do need to start exploring different water sources because our resources are finite and climate change is impacting yeah. impacting that as well as population continuing to grow and increase demand on on our resource like water is obviously what I focus on but it's, I think it's an issue across the board with, um, yeah. with the resource use that we that we have so so yeah it's definitely interesting to to see how that is starting to be considered a lot more in projects like it's even though it's been a, an issue ongoing for quite a while I think it's only kind of been within the last um, 10 years or so that that people are actually like oh this is something that is going to impact what it is that we're designing and building so yeah it's interesting to see that come into projects yeah yes we definitely want long-term sustainable solutions (laughs) cool so I think that actually wraps it up we've gone through all the questions um thank you so much chelsea and todd for joining us today you guys really provided a lot of insight and perspectives from your industry experience and all of the extra killer work you guys do thank you so much for um, the work you guys do and for sharing that perspective and experience in this podcast today i was wondering if you guys had any last notes for the students or anything oh some final words i think yes. uh, We've already we've already kind of had a bit of a chat about it, but like I do, just yeah, want to highlight um, highlight that fact that it is kind of time to start um, having those conversations, not just in the workplace, but but in in university and things like that as well, and really starting to like own our own diversity and the different perspectives that we bring to the table. Yeah putting that together to, to come up with some really, really great solutions for society. Yeah. yeah. And Todd, any final words? No, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I think the thing is, I think from this past year, we've definitely learned anything can happen, right? Um, yeah. I think that's definitely kind of walked the boat on what everything that we perceive and do. So I yeah. actually think now is the time to instill that change mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. diversity at you know, this generation and moving forward, right? Because it showed that the people, all people around the world are actually more flexible than you thought they were, mm-hmm. right? And I think that yeah. has really shifted everyone's mindset how the world yeah. is so i think don't be afraid to speak out you know yeah. really in solution and yeah. also say have those conversations with your peers and those around you really great final notes guys thank you so much thank you for listening to our podcast make sure to follow us on spotify to receive notifications for our new uploads if you'd like to be part of our live podcast sessions with our speakers so you can ask them questions Make sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to receive notifications for our live streams. You will also be able to ask questions anonymously via our link in the comment section. Until next time.